Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage. Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek at the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. We're happy to have you here today. Jerry, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Good to see you. And Joyce Evans is our guest today. She is the mayor of Fort Laramie. So we will have some interesting things to talk about today. But right now, we'll take a few moments and listen to our sponsors and be right back in a bit. Starting May 18th, some University of Wyoming Extension offices will be open to the public. Contact your local office to learn about your county's variances for COVID-19 restrictions. Even if your county remains closed, you can always contact your local educator by phone or email. Go to wyoextension.org to find your county's contact information. Hey folks, are you a first-time gardener and lacking a little bit in the green thumb area? The Sensible Nutrition Program and UW Extension are excited to share gardening resources and tips. Learn how to get started, choose seeds and trees from Wyoming's climate, and plan your landscape. Go to uwyocmp.org backslash gardening for sensible gardening and food growing tips. Good luck and green thumbs. All right, we're back. This is the KGUS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Happy to have you here today. Joyce, it is good to have you in the studio with us today. And uh, I think we're going to spend some time talking about things happening in Fort Laramie. Are you okay with that? I am okay with that. Thank you for having (laughs) me on today. Um, Yeah, we have a lot of exciting things in the gardening world happening in Fort Laramie. Excellent. So do you, have, um, do you have gardens planted? Do you have an effort by the city for, I think I've heard a rumor that you have an effort going into place for a community garden? We do. We've had the idea for some time to do a community garden, but this year we decided to put it in place. And fortunately we decided before COVID struck, our local preschool planted vegetable and flower plants and had them started before they had to disband. So um, our preschool teacher, who also happens to be on the town council, Laura Kurtzinger, kept those plants going. She borrowed some grow wagons and had grow lights, and we have grown a beautiful set of tomatoes and peppers and also flowers for our park. So for the community garden, we decided that we would start small this year. We got permission from the town council and through totally volunteer work, built a raised bed. And then when the time was right, we thought we planted those lovely plants from under the grow lights out into the harsh Wyoming sun and wind and put them into our community garden. Wait a minute. That was this year. And it worked really well. I'll be replacing a few. Thank you very much. It worked really well until it hailed, right? <laughs> well, we, we did manage to miss the hail, but, but the wind has done its part. And there are a few really happy rabbits in this new, new place. Okay. But um, we are going to run it a little differently than we hope to in the future. But this year, since the plants were started, we went ahead and put them in the garden. And we also planted a uh, good amount of seeds. So we have things like beets and lettuce and kale and cucumbers and all kinds of radishes, um, carrots, those kinds of things are coming up. So we planted those by seed. So Joyce, how does does your community garden work? I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, in, In a lot of places, community gardens are managed by a whole bunch of different individuals growing for themselves. There are other places where community gardens are managed by one person and then folks can come in and harvest the food. Uh, How how do you guys plan on managing yours? Well, this year, because of the disruption and because of the way things worked out, we're going to do the latter way. We are going to go ahead and maintain the garden ourselves. And when anyone wants to come in, pull a few weeds, or um, harvest a tomato or a pepper or anything else, they'll be welcome to do that. It's open to the public. 
Um, we are trying to not allow people to congregate. So we didn't have a big community planting, which we had planned to do. But this year it will work that way. In the future, we're open to the concept of letting people have a portion of the raised bed, or if we expand another raised bed, we're just going to see how this works out. If it goes in the community and becomes popular, then we have plenty of room to expand. But right now we're going to just let people come as they choose and um, harvest when they want to, whatever they want to. If you're so allowing, okay, good. If you're allowing people to pull weeds, do you have signs with pictures on them that says weed, not weed? <laughs> <laughs> we have pictures of all of the plants. However, they may not be in all stages of development, but I've never been overwhelmed with an army wanting to come in and pull weeds. Now, my brother has that kind of same idea that he does not want a garden for himself, but he says, I'll come and help you, whatever you want me to do, but can I have an acorn squash? I said, sure. He says, can I have some tomatoes? I said, you bet. And so he's willing to do a little bit of sweat equity for some of his vegetables and produce. That's encouraging to know that people are willing to do that. We do want to make a point that everything was donated to this. It didn't cost any city funds. We're not expecting town people to do the labor or anything. This is totally up to the community and volunteers. So, you know, it is, there's not a lot of sweat equity this year, but in the future there could be. There will be more sweat in the future. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> there's there's one other bit of uh, the garden that you might want to uh, talk about that we can talk about together. Okay, why don't you bring that up? So Laura Kurtzinger contacted me earlier on in the year about the possibility of getting a geodome in Fort Laramie and um, her geodesic dome, uh, which would be a passive greenhouse garden type thing for folks to grow in. So it'd be a protected space, much like a hoop house or a high tunnel. But uh, we've started doing the geodesic domes in the last couple of years, and they're much more sturdy than a regular traditional hoop house and are just as productive. So we thought it'd be a good place to put one. So later, which later meaning September, we have on the calendar a date a week to actually build the geodesic dome there in, in uh, Fort Laramie. Well, that's and really that cool. Very... And Joyce, where would you put that geodesic dome? In the well, park in the south side of Fort Laramie? We're thinking of putting it near Town Hall because we oh, yeah. now have a t Town Hall and Community Center in the old school. So we've moved into that building. And there is a lot of space that used to be the old yard around the school and lawn. And it hasn't been kept up for a long, long time. So it's kind of an eyesore and we have water to it. And so we, we are thinking with permission of the town council, which we do not have at this point, we will have to speak with the council, but we're hoping to be able to put it up near the town hall. There's a lot of sun there. It's a great place and a lot of space. And it would be a very neat, clean, appropriate addition to that part of the town. Yeah, one so of that's the things what we're thinking right now. Okay. One of the things that I have been thinking about with these geodesic domes is, uh, so you have protected space on the inside, you might as well build raised beds right around the outside of it as well. So you can base inside and outside, uh, very convenient to your gardening and just continue to build concentric circles out from the inside to build your raised beds and start your little farm right there. So Jeff, on the yes. inside of your geodesic dome, do you make a curved raised bed in there to start them? How, do, how does, what's the interior like? So the geodesic dome has 10 sides at the base. And basically all we really need to do, it'll be a 21 foot diameter dome. Uh, what we really need to do is recalculate the dome diameter at, I think it's 18 feet in order for it to make it come out right and just recut the wall sizes and only make nine of them and then build it in. And then on the inside, you can also construct what they call a key garden. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, Jerry, but it's almost round and it has one area where you walk into it so that you can get to the inside and then it'll be another outside. So think of it as a bullseye on a target, right? Yeah. So you have these concentric rings of space. So there'll be some on the outside of the wall and then another concentric ring in the inside that you can still get to and 
and grow in. Uh, that's to me that would make most sense of the space. And then uh, the other option is then to build a concentric ring on the outside of the structure, and you've got this inside-outside gardening space that's very relatively compact and very productive. I think a lot of vegetables in a small footprint, and I think that's a really good idea. We definitely want to keep a part of that dome for the preschool because that is the whole impetus of getting this going, the, the preschoolers. So sure. we want to keep a part of that for the preschool, but we were thinking about opening the rest to the community and having them either have spaces or depending on how this outside garden works, maybe we would just have harvest. But we have a lot of concepts that we're, we're playing with and wanting to get the one that works best for our community. Yeah, you could even think about having chickens. Briefly. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I don't think that was a good idea, Jerry. <laughs> no, 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 not, not so much. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I think it's a, it'd be a great improvement for uh, Fort Laramie and for the folks there and maybe a little bit of a morale booster and, you know, community garden, maybe community building. So everybody likes food, right? <laughs> everybody does. And so many people here are old time gardeners and have gardened their entire lives and remember gardens from their childhoods. And it, it's a nice tie in for folks that aren't able, don't have the space or don't have the physical power anymore to do that, to be able to participate in that activity that was really important to them for their entire lives. So I think yeah. we'd like to, to make that possible. We do have another really exciting thing that's happening too is um, we're getting a farm wall, one of the vertical gardening oh, um, yeah. projects. The, the Wyoming Business Council through the Main Street program, they had a, a placemaking project and were able to obtain several farm walls that were given to the state at a reduced price and they made those available to Goshen County Economic Development through the Main Street program and we were offered a farm wall for $300 and we immediately had enough donations to make that payment. This is a, a cool vertical wall that has the plants planted in it already and you just hook it up. It has a watering system and it it's actually coming planted this year because of the COVID. They felt that there wouldn't be time to get someone else to plant them. So they planted it, they will install it and we're going to have that put on the community wow. center. So it will be right there near the garden so eventually we're our concept is to have herbs in that so you could have your vegetables in the greenhouse and in the, the the raised beds and then get your your basil and your dill and all the things you wanted herb wise from the vertical wall but we'll, we'll see how that works but yeah. we don't know what it's coming planted planted with and it should be installed oh in a couple of weeks so okay we're pretty excited about that that's very cool. I know that there's one on one of the south-facing walls uh, in Laramie yes. uh, on one of the businesses there, and they harvest their greens and spices and those type herbs, excuse me, off of it. So um, it's uh, it's kind of an interesting way to grow and uh, produce, particularly if you don't have a lot of space. And it's novel enough that I think it will draw people to see how it works. And I really love the educational component of it. It gives us a chance to get those little kids involved with, you know, what happens when you put a seed in the ground and to follow that process all the way through to when you have a tomato on your plate. And that, yeah. I think that's really important. I know the schools do that some, but I think it's, it's okay to start at preschool. And that's one of the concepts that Laura has had in her preschool is to start plants and to show kids where their food comes from. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited about that tying in the intergenerational thing where we have older people who want to be involved in gardening and little kids who want to be involved in gardening and getting that, that sense of community and that intergenerational gap closed a little bit. So I'm excited about those possibilities. Joyce, that's almost a destination kind of thing to come look at it. For some of us older kids, I too would want to see that. And I'm wondering if it was going to be more hydroponically grown at a vertical wall or if there's going to actually be dirt involved? Soil. So, uh, soil involved. <laughs> soil. There may be some dirt too. <laughs> Most gardening requires some dirt, but no, no, I soil. am anxious to see the, the actual process myself. I have not seen one up close and personally, but I'm 
sure we will become intimately involved with the with the farm wall and we will know how it works i do know it has a water system it has to be hooked up to water so it it's kind of it takes care of itself fairly well i think but i know it will need to be monitored so when when i know more i will let you know all right i'm not i've seen them but i'm not quite sure what the medium the growth medium is so yeah i think there is some soil involved but i'm not sure yeah, we'll we'll find out, won't we? We will find out hands-on. We're good at that. So, Jeff, with the geodesic dome soils, that'll be all hand-picked and hand-selected soils, so you get the best premium kind of growing conditions? So that, that's going to be up to Laura, but I can speak personally about mine. I use my local soil and then put in about 25% compost and then continue to add compost to it. So, uh, well each year, add more compost to it because it compresses and that compost breaks down and those types of things. So it's a really good opportunity to create your own soil and then get it tested so you know what's there or not there and use the amendments that you need in order to make it most productive. You bet. And so in your geodesic dome, getting back to that, how deep are your beds? Well, the base wall is 18 inches. So you could go that high at least, unless there, unless you wanted to make some modifications to it. I've done a geodesic dome in Wheatland where we used a four-foot base wall. And those folks put in a three-foot tall raised bed. And they're reporting that they have tomatoes over their heads now. <laughs> okay. Indeterminate. Indeterminate, yes. Yeah. Yes. You need to plant determinant tomatoes in a high, in a tall raised <laughs> bed. <laughs> That's right. Well, we so, also need to be cognizant of ADA requirements. So if we have people who are in wheelchairs or need walkers and those types of things to make that access available. So I'm thinking 18 inches is a little bit low. Okay. 18 inches right. to two feet, I think, is the recommended height for comfort. We, uh, we may have to make adjustments to yours. We'll think about that, and I'll check the specifications to make sure we're on track. But I think okay. I think 18 inches is as low as you want to go. Well, and I think it's actually 16 inches, so we might be making adjustments to yours anyway. Oh, my back says that's pretty low. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, but if you have someone in a in a wheelchair, that that might be an appropriate height. You might have to go like a, like they do in some kitchens. They have different heights for different activities. And so it might be one of those kind of things that you might have different heights for different, different planting. As the mayor, you need to be aware of a lot of things. And, and I didn't even stop to think about ADA in that moment that we were talking about the geodesic dome. Well, and that's one of the things that we were aware of because of where we've been placing the hoop houses and high tunnels. Uh, the ADA requirements. So our doors that we put on are a little bit wider and we really have to watch if we are planting in the middle that the space is available for people to get in and manipulate, right. maneuver around easily. And I think those center beds could probably be higher than the outside beds. So exactly. that might be a possibility of just doing that and not, not adjusting the height of the beds on the outside. Right. So, you know, we've talked about domes and gardens and I want to talk about things growing right now. <laughs> <laughs> we have, I'm sorry to say, but I am starting to see puncture vine germinating. The dreaded puncture yes. vine is showing up and uh, it's uh, one of those things that once it starts blooming, you will start having seeds in a matter of m minutes. So be on the watch for puncture vine and uh, try to be taking care of them. If those things are starting to germinate, it might be a little bit too late to put, not might, is, could be a little too late to put out some uh, pre-emergent product. So you're going to need a uh, broadleaf control product to try to get those things. Or if you don't want to use pesticides, hand removal, hoeing, Jerry's favorite, rototilling. Oh, no, no. You don't want to rototill. <laughs> and, and, uh, Is he a recreational yeah. rototiller? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> My reputation is preceding Jerry me. is, yes. Yes, he is a recreational rototiller. <laughs> but I would, I would not 
rototill puncture vines. That mechanical removal does not include rototilling. You're just going to replant and replant oh. and replant. And those seeds last for seven to 10 years or so. Or longer. Uh, or, or longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the half-life on puncture vine is like 15 to 20. They're a long-lived seed. Yeah. So you don't want to be sharing that legacy with your grandchildren, as I keep telling you about other things. <laughs> yeah, not that so much. True. But they do <laughs> succumb to being pulled. So I, uh, I had brought a peony with me that is blooming in my yard. I had to transplant a couple peony. Uh, I don't think that they like to be transplanted in this kind of weather, but I had to get them out of the way where they were at. And Joyce, you said that you had some peony that was growing, but not enough sun. That's correct. And so mine need to be transplanted, but not this time of year. I agree. When, will, when do you think that you'll plant, you'll transplant? Either in the fall or in the early, early spring. But yeah. I have transplanted them in the summertime and they have survived, but they have not been particularly happy peonies. <laughs> it takes yeah. several years for peonies to become happy, I think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they are, one of, they are one of the prettiest plants and you don't have to do much to them once they're happy. And uh, you just have to watch them, and they bring in a lot of bees and a lot of pollinators. So it's one of our favorite plants. That is, uh, that's very important. Speaking, of, speaking, of, so speaking of bees and pollinators, I have another project for Fort Laramie that I'd like to throw out there. Okay, let's have it. And this is a um, unapproved at the present time idea, but it's an embryotic idea. I have the... Um, dream of starting a native plant garden. We were kind, very kindly donated a replica wagon, a Conestoga type wagon from the fort. It wasn't exactly historically accurate, but we got that as a donation and it sits up next to town hall. And my idea is to have that wagon surrounded by an accessible garden made up of all native plants from this area, the prairie plants and my, my resident experts have told me that there are at least 50 varieties of plants that they can think of that we could put in that area and have it clearly labeled and also accessible. And I'm thinking that this could, for a very small portion of the population, be a destination also, because I know there are people that are very interested in native plants at this time. So in order to enhance the pollinator and the bird populations, and to try to get a few people who are interested in, in the actual native plants, I think we could, we could pull that off in a little area in front of town hall. So that's an idea that I've been working on and have started doing some on the ground, looking at getting that done. Joyce, I think that's a great idea. A long time ago, I know one of the greenhouses donated some plants and they were kind of designated for plants along the Oregon Trail. So that, that kind of goes with that theme that, that kind of seems reminiscent of that kind of thing. And as people traveled west, they planted a few things in attempts to help some of the people that were following. And apparently there's still some garlics and onions surviving along the trail even now. <clears throat> yeah. You might even think about some bees. And if you have someone that knows how to shepherd those bees. My neighbor purchased some Italian bees and claims that they are very, very gentle, that you can even stick your hand inside the box and they won't sting you. So they're unlike a lot of the other bees that I've been associated with, and they were good stingers for them, but these Italian bees are supposed to be really, really tame. I think most of the commercial bee operations do go with the Italian bees, and they are relatively relatively kind. However, if you threaten their hive, they're predestined to sting you, and then they die. So, you know, we would prefer not to be stung and not to kill the bees. One thing I've been concerned about recently is I've been reading that those Italian bees that we bring in actually compete with the native bees, and not all of our native bees are honey producers but they are pollinators and they're really, really important to keep the, the process going that, you know, we count on bees to pollinate, but they plant, they pollinate an awful lot of plants that we don't eat. So 
And I think there's a balance. I think we have to be careful and cognizant of what we do with bees. I would really like to use a lot of native plants and try to encourage the native bee population, as well as the other insects that pollinate. Flies pollinate, a lot of insects pollinate plants that we don't even think about. The, uh, the, the thing that's flying around right now that people are complaining about are the miller moths, the moths, mm-hmm. but they are also pollinators. So uh, that's they what are. they're doing. They're collecting in places where there are flowers and annoying people, but they are also pollinating. So even though they are beneficial at this stage, their immatures are what people don't like as well. So cutworms. So yeah, I think, I think we need to be aware of those things and not overly treat our, our gardens and our yards because we, we have unintended consequences when we do that. Sure. In many different ways. Yes. Joyce, can I ask you about your water in Fort Laramie? My understanding is that you have some of the most pure water in our area. Do you put a restriction on the water? Do you charge per gallon or per hundred? How does the town of Fort Laramie do that? Our municipal water supply is metered and we do charge, we have a base charge and then we charge per gallon. We have quite a large ceiling right now, high ceiling, so it's 10,000 gallons you can use before you get extra. It's treated water, it's chlorinated water. I think that the awards we won were for the taste of the water, not necessarily the um, chemical composition of the water. And our water is relatively um, high pH. It's, it's a basic water. And so it isn't super for plants, but it, you know, it's not harmful, but it, we could probably do better for, for our plants. It's, it's great for human intake, but not quite so good for the plants. Um, of course, all the soils around here are fairly alkaline. So, you know, we're going to have a lot of the salts. Um, we also have in town um, shares from the canal. So we have ditch water that several people use on their yards and gardens. I use it on my garden and have excellent results. And it's a flood irrigation system, but we also allow people to pump that water when it's available. That is a little bit extra, but not very much. You pay one time per season and you get the water as long as it's available. And that's a really good system to water things like yards so that you're not using the municipal water that we have to treat. And we're not using our pumps that pump out of our wells. So. You know, there, there are several ways to get water here in Fort Laramie. My uncle lived in Fort Laramie, Leo Urshabek, and mm-hmm. he would flood irrigate his yard and also flood irrigate his garden. And he produced just excellent gardens and he had a really luscious lawn. And I remember him flooding his yard. I'm like going, what are you doing? But you bet yeah. that that seemed to work really well. It does work very well. I've been really impressed with it. A lot of people are very hesitant to use it because of possible damage to their buildings, which you do have to watch that. You know, you don't really want to flood your basement every week. (laughs) um, We've been very, very pleased with the results we've had with the flood irrigation. I think there's a lot of organic material in that water. And if you think that it's already flown through several larger towns before it gets here, you know, we could probably go into the organic compounds that are in it, but we don't really want to think about that. But it's great for plants. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, I know that you're into a hoop house and you're using a hoop house. With these growing temperatures that we're having, are you having any difficulty keeping your hoop house below scalding? Well, we do have the sides rolled up. We have a uh, shade cloth on it. And I walked in there yesterday afternoon when it was, how hot was it yesterday? Fairly warm. Our peas are the only things that seem to be struggling with a high temperature. They're about 50 inches tall. And once they get up into that really warm zone, they start, the tops start dying out. So yeah, there is some issues with it being really warm right now. But I got to say the, the way things are growing in there, the other things, it's just fantastic. I've got sweet corn that's up to my waist now and uh, I can't see the tassels starting yet. So I don't know how big it's going to get. So on the geodesic dome that you're planning on building for Fort Laramie, will there be a circle air escape at the top? Is there, that's a solid, solid structure. So will there be any way of having a window in there to expel some of the heat? 
Yeah. So what we've done is we'll put in a, uh, what I call a Dutch door or a split door. So it swings top and bottom separately. Right. So you can close the bottom door, open the top door. And then we also put in a automatic louvered vent, uh, up high enough so that any trap heat can escape right out through the roof. So it will still get hot in that structure, but hopefully the plants will be able to survive. You know, unfortunately, when it gets above 100 degrees, things the plants just start shutting down and not growing. But we have to be able to control that environment a little bit, and you can't just fill it full of vents because that becomes really expensive. So it will so have a vent in it. So is that when, when it gets to be into those hundreds, that's when you start moving everything from inside outside? No, there are things that will survive still at those temperatures. They'll just start growing a little bit slower. Uh huh. Now, now if you closed it up completely, you would have salsa in the high tunnel. <laughs> you would cook everything. Yeah. So whether it, you wanted it, whether you wanted it or not. Right. Cause um, if you walk away from it and forget to open it up on a 90 degree day, it'll be 150, 160 degrees in there and it'll just cook it. Just like an automobile. Just like an automobile. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Light gets in, heat can't get out, and it, it's a bad deal. Yeah. All right. Um, it's uh, time to take a break, and uh, we'll take a few minutes and listen to our sponsors and be back in a moment. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Podcast, presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at yoextension.org. Do you have questions about the coronavirus or COVID-19? Go to uwyocnporg slash coronavirus slash uw-extension to find reliable information, community resources, and recipes using the food in your pantry. Okay, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Joyce Evans, gardener, grower, mayor of Fort Laramie. So we've been talking about things that have been that are going on in Fort Laramie right now. And um, Joyce, is there anything else that you'd like to add about growing, gardening? Well, yes. We we didn't talk about flowers. We've talked a lot about vegetables, but we haven't talked about flowers. And we have flowers in Fort Laramie. And again, these were planted by our preschool children. Fantastic. And we are so excited to have baby flowers in our flower pots, in our, our flower beds. They're not pots. But we have um, a little memorial, Veterans Memorial at Memorial Park, North Park. And we have always purchased flowers to put in those beds but this year our preschoolers started plants and we have quite the assortment of plants we're not sure that everything is labeled as to what it actually is but we're very excited because we have everything from nasturtiums to shasta daisies to forget-me-nots and dianthus and all sorts of exciting wonderful things that our preschoolers put into the dirt and they are going to be able to watch all summer as our flower beds start to to grow and to blossom they look a little puny right now but i think that everything is still alive and we even had some perennials planted so we have some echinacea which is a plant native to this area and we are so excited to see our little kids work start to to bloom and enhance our our park so you know we've got so you've you've mentioned the preschoolers You've mentioned the preschoolers several times. How many are there in Fort Laramie? We had, a, I think, five to six were enrolled in our little preschool. And they were very interested little children. They did a lot of nature walks down on the Confluence Trail by the river and looked for plants there. And the name of the preschool is Planting Roots Preschool. So it, it lends itself well to planting seeds. So we are very excited to have an educational opportunity for our little children. Hopefully we can involve the the elementary and even high school kids later on, but we're starting with the the preschool that we have in-house here. So it's really exciting to have that that opportunity for kids here. That's really good. I, I remember gardening with my parents and I think I was restricted to weed pulling 
but it was outside of the garden space. <laughs> Wisely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I hated it then, but I, now I find weed pulling kind of therapeutic. I, I know it's 100% control. I know they won't usually grow back if I pull it. So it's kind of a kind of a satisfying time to go out and pull weeds for half an hour or 45 minutes or, you know, just something a little bit different. Right. Especially early in the morning before it gets hot outside. Right. Yep. My wife and I were just talking about that just the other day. That we, we thought that we would start getting up about 4 o'clock and going to bed about 6 p.m. to beat the heat. And uh, we just haven't gotten that switched over yet. It's Joyce, hard. I, I think I'd like to send your, uh, your preschoolers some giant pumpkins from the Giant Pumpkin Growing Committee. So where would I send those seeds to? The community um, center? You could send it to town hall at the community center, yes. Or you could send it to Laura Kurtzinger, who is the teacher. But okay. yes, they would love some giant pumpkin seeds. Okay, the town hall is just a safe uh, address to give. Do you have that address? Um, it is post office box 77, I believe. But we're okay. Fort Laramie, so if that's wrong, we'll get it anyway. We'll get it, all right, sounds good. <laughs> just, just address it to Joyce Evans, Fort Laramie, Wyoming. It'll get there. It'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, Mayor Joyce Evans, Fort Laramie. Well, <laughs> I would uh, probably get it. <laughs> one of the things I need to let folks to watch out for are uh, ticks this year. I've had several. We've never had ticks where we live in the past. And I've pulled three off myself the last week, a couple off of my dog. And uh, so if you're out and about, make sure that uh, you're watching for ticks. And if you are not opposed to treating your animals to uh, control them or or reduce their numbers, it is time to do that. So just uh, be aware. Ticks can make you very sick. So yes. you bet, you bet. The best time to get them is before they start bur burrowing into your skin. So you have um, a time-tested way of ridding yourself of a burrowed tick? Uh, I catch them before they get a hold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Usually a warm object on their rear end is a good method. Uh, also, some of the oils that people have now, the essential oils, there are several of those that ticks do not seem to like. And then so, you can buy the tick remover that, that comes in a complete package. So the thing you, you mentioned some of the diseases that ticks carry. Uh, Lyme disease is one of them, but we don't have Lyme disease in Wyoming, fortunately. Mostly on the East Coast, yes. The one, at, well, East and West Coast. The one that we do have is Rocky Mountain Spotted Tick Fever, which is probably worse than, than Lyme disease. But um, incidents of it are really low. But you really want to watch for ticks and make sure that you don't let them burrow in. Uh, an odd thing that and that ticks can cause, it's called tick paralysis. Um, I've never seen cases of this. I've only heard cases of this. But if you have a dog that is lethargic and won't get up, check them for ticks. Apparently, it ha it's a, some type of a reaction with the tick saliva as they've bitten into the dog. And as soon as you remove that tick, that uh, response goes away within a relatively short amount of time. So it's just another thing to be, another yep. thing to watch out for. <laughs> ticks are bad. They're not a good time. Not a, not a good One thing. One thing that eats ticks is opossums. They will eat ticks, so don't run oh, really? over a possum when you see it. Was not aware of Because they are voracious eaters of ticks. Okay. Well, anything that possums eat, then possums are good, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> we had a we had a, a not a we've had possum at our house and they do the i've i've uh, i'm dead trick to avoid any more confrontation I, uh, i'm dead look at my teeth yeah right <laughs> so, um, jerry when you mentioned that you've had possum at your house that sounds like you ate one but oh, i won't. no 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 <laughs> no but I relocated him over the fence and because uh, he was bothering my cats as well. So uh, he was relocated across the fence and 
checked on him and about 15 minutes later, he was gone. Yep. He was gone. We have yeah. seen some raccoons on our deck kind of, you know, you, you always notice a strange noise if it's curtains are closed and whatnot, turn on the light. And there was this big mama raccoon sitting on our desk. Uh, Jeff, could I go back to last week? You said something about relocating snakes. Uh, I was wondering if you remember that. Did you say something about you cannot relocate a snake over 10 miles? Yeah. Um, so it was, that wasn't me. That was our guest. Gary Stone made a comment about you couldn't move a snake further than a mile from it, its current location or something like that. I had never heard that before. Well, I, I had neither. I, I don't know the distance. I don't know the exact distance. That would be a, a question for Game and Fish, I think. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I just thought that that was interesting, too. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I wouldn't take the time to relocate a snake further than a mile. No, I would not either. <laughs> I just wanted so, it out of my immediate area. Yeah. So Joyce, have you seen or heard of reports of snakes in or near Fort Laramie? Oh, occasionally we have a bull snake. I've heard of rattlesnakes, but I'm not sure that the reporter was um, aware of the difference between various types of snakes. I have not seen more than one in town, but I'm sure there's a possibility. And, you know, we do live where the snakes lived here first. So, you know, we could have snakes. Yeah. So one of the things that I, and you talked about flowers there at Fort Laramie, one of the things I've always appreciated driving through are your iris beds in front of the information center. I always, um, I'm an iris fan myself. And here at our office, we have iris and daisies growing together. I never thought that that would be a good combination, but man, it just shows off those iris like crazy. The the white with the green foliage takes up little space and gets rid of weeds. Anytime you can cover those. You were volunteering then to come help me separate those iris that are in front of the information center because they're getting very root bound there. Is that yeah. correct? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize uh, that I was volunteering. Yeah, but... Those you can actually sell if you're looking for community funds. If you get some volunteers to do that, you can actually say, hey, I've got some iris bulbs or iris rhizomes. What are they, Jeff? Uh, I think I think that they are iris rhizomes. But uh, when you do that, when you do dig an iris up, you, you certainly can do it most any time. Most people recommend that they do it after they bloom. So still, right now is not the time. But as you do that, you can clip the foliage into a upward arrow and take apart any of the root ball that you have, break them apart, and then you can have a whole bunch of them. Even if you sold them at a minimal amount, you could have quite a few iris and if you kind of label them if you if you know where you're at if you're going to start doing that you could start being fort laramie's capital of iris selling as, <laughs> Sounds as like a, an economic venture there yes <laughs> well yes. you seem to you seem to be having quite a few things going on in fort laramie iris iris selling would be one of those additional opportunities that sounds like an excellent idea Excellent. And I could get rid of some of mine that I need to separate too. So we could, we could um, fund the town with iris roots. I like that. Uh, I'm really fond of the yellow ones. Now I have they a friend and I, and I have a few brilliant white ones, but my friend says, boy, I just don't care for those white iris. I love them. Any bloom that's very white will show iridescent in the dark. They, they just really come out there. Jeff, do you have a favorite color of, of iris? Uh, anything in the purple or dark blue, I think. Um, Diane has a knack to pick yellow ones uh, when she's transplanting them. So we have a lot of yellow ones. She's trying to figure out how to get rid of the yellow ones and okay, move around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the yellow ones. Do you really? Oh, absolutely. We, I, I really could, do. We could supply you with a truckload. <laughs> All right. I was, uh, for those that, that don't know, Jeff was temporarily offline and I was experiencing 
some te technical difficulties that were pretty significant. Yeah, but I was telling Joyce that I enjoyed the the iris in front of the community center, in front of the information center there in Fort Laramie, and I suggested that maybe she tag them and start selling them. And I asked the question while you were gone: uh, Is it an iris rhizome or iris bulb? It's not a bulb. It's either a it's either a rhizome or a stolen, and I don't know the difference between the two. I think yeah. it's a I think it's a stolen. I think a rhizome is more of a, a root like on a spreading grass, and I think it's a it's a stolen that is more tuber potato like. Is that right, Joyce, or am I? Um, I'm going to defer to the agricultural expert. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah, there was a third option that you didn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so I was telling her that we have iris with uh, daisies, and uh, they really do seem okay. to complement each other with the, the bright white, yellow button eye on the daisy with the green foliage of the iris. I think next week we'll have Tom McCurry, sure. and he, he likes to talk about iris as well. Good, and yeah. I think next week will be the uh, week for irises. I think all of mine are, well, all of the ones here in the office are in full bloom. Oh, okay. We've just, we've just started. We're, uh, so we're a little bit behind. So Joyce, have you found an area to plant your peony? Have you, have you looked at the area that you're going to do that at? I have not selected the area yet. I have some ideas. I was told that there used to be a lovely peony bush in front of my, my house. My, I have an older house, and I think that I might try that spot again, but I'm going to have to suggest someone else leave that spot. So I haven't quite worked out the logistics of the move. Yeah. So I had a hole dug. I filled it full of water. I waited until it was about 8 o'clock in the evening, and then I went ahead and transplanted that into a watered hole. So uh, you might try that technique. That seemed to work fair. My, my peony is still standing, but I don't know for how much longer. Well, so, that's, earlier, that's good so earlier, you, you mentioned that your peony was in a too shady of an area. And so uh, I think the peony does like a lot of sunshine. I think so. At least six hours or so. And I, this turned out to have a shade tree that grew over it. But before the leaves were on, I didn't notice that, you know. Just didn't notice that there was a tree there. <laughs> well, and, and peonies are notoriously bad for being good transplanters anyway, right? They, they, there's always a shock period for them, and then it's a couple of years, and then you start wondering, well, did I, did I transplant it too deep? And so they're kind of, they are very sensitive plants to uh, human manipulation. Let's put it that way. I found the same with oriental poppies those orange poppies that we see and okay. uh there's a there's an alley in torrington that this guy has just there they overrun his little area and there should be more of them at my house but transplanting those gee whiz i i've not been able to transplant those whatsoever wait a minute jerry you haven't been like sneaking there in the middle of the night and <laughs> borrowing plants have you no but I have had permission okay. from a, a couple of people, and I just can't seem to transplant them. And what it doesn't about, matter what time of the year. What about waiting until they're seeds and try to get try to start seeds? I, I've tried that as well. Hmm, okay. uh, I need some help though in knowing how to capture the seed, because one day you know you're looking, 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 and and then the next day, they're gone. They've just opened up, and they, they scatter pretty fair. Well, when, a, when the wind starts blowing, they just are gone. Shatter. <laughs> so I, I need some help with, a, with some technique to capture seed. So if anybody's out there listening and has some good ideas, I'd certainly appreciate hearing about it. Try putting a paper bag over the seed head after it's, the petals are gone and it's started to dry, put a paper bag upside down over the seed head and use a twisty tie to tie the bottom shut. And then wow. after this, then the seeds will fall into your paper bag. All right. I'll try that as well. So that, <laughs> that, 
that day that you're looking at at them and thinking, okay, tomorrow's going to be the day. That's the day you put your paper sack on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm willing to try most anything. I, I just really like those. And they're the big orange ones. Now, I really also like the California poppies, and they will grow with the seed easy enough. I, I'm, I'm okay with those. Yeah. But, but and, those big Orientals. The, 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 the uh, California poppies are annuals. And are those, the ones that you're referring to, Jerry, are they? Uh, They're perennial. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. So any other things going on in the county that we need to let folks know about? I know that the farmer's markets are probably on hold. I don't know of, of any, um, I think the Goshen County Extension Office is open as far as receiving visitors. But again, um, I, I think, think. I think that they want you to call first. Yep. I agree. I think they want yep. you to call first and state your business and then they'll, they'll do their utmost to accommodate you. Sure. It's summertime. Things are growing. <laughs> and I could, I could give you the standard bend your knees when you're hoeing, raking, shoveling, yep. lift with your legs, yep. hydrate and use sunscreen. Exactly. Yes. Uh, the other day I was out too long and I got overheated and started to kind of go, Oh, Myrna, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Had to go in and take a shower. It was too hot. Find a, find a shady spot. Yeah, find it can happen. Spot. It can happen fairly quickly. I think we've once again ran out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Joyce? Well, we have built a splash pad. It has not officially opened, but as soon as we have the health departments okay and a few little plumbing details worked out, there will be running water that you can run through in Fort Laramie. As oh, soon as it's safe enough to do that. Okay, that sounds like a good time. Jerry, do you have anything else to add this week? As a matter of fact, uh, if you're wanting to plant some plants to attract dragonflies and decrease mosquitoes, uh, black-eyed Susans, meadow sage, yarrow, and dwarf sagittarial. It's uh, an aquatic plant for, for ponds. Interesting. Uh, yeah. The other part of that a lot is of those uh, don't take much water, so that sounds great. Yeah. The the other part of that is dragonflies are aquatic; they need water. Their larvae live in ponds, and so um, you would also need to have a, uh, a water source relatively close by in order to keep them around. Let me ask this: since you brought it up, uh, do they like a shallow area, or is it okay just for deep for dragonflies? Do they like a little marshy area? Little marshy, their uh, larvae are predaceous on a lot of different things. So um, uh, dragonflies, damselflies all need aquatic uh, habitats in order to thrive. All right. Good deal. So thank you for having me as your co-host. Uh, as always. Yes. As always. We're glad you're here. And uh, Joyce, thank you for joining us today. For those of you listening, uh, we appreciate you uh, spending your time with us and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek. Thanks for listening. 